All right. So, Matt, do you know why Dracula's wife couldn't get to sleep at night? Uh, no. Because of his coffin? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. Alrighty, man. How are you tonight, brother? I'm good. Uh, my voice is better. Yes, it is. It's not. It's not a hundred percent, but it's better. Yeah, it's not. Not quite as uh, gravelly. You don't have as much gravitas this week. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't have all the all the pebbles and yeah, stuff. <laughs> right. What is that? Uh, uh, the Weird Al Yankovic version of the Nirvana song where he's like, "It's hard to bargle Noddle's house with all these marbles in my mouth." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> before we get into it tonight, we just wanted to say a quick thank you to our sponsors this week, Care Of and Hers, and we appreciate their support and we appreciate when you guys go and check them out and support them because that helps support us. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know, I was uh I was driving in to the graveyard tonight. Mm-hmm. And I think I may I may have had a, a paranormal experience. Really? Yeah. So I'm I'm pull I'm getting off the highway and I'm I'm behind several cars, and all of a sudden I smell a fart. So mm. either either the guy in front of me <laughs> needs to see a doctor, right? If I could if I can catch a whiff of it from his car, right? Or you know, I had a ghost riding shotgun that you, ate cabbage for you lunch. You got a gassy ghost. <laughs> you could have just leaked one out and not know it at your age, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> well, one never knows. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I break wind? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so on that note, Matt, what are we talking about tonight? Okay, so... In nineteen, in nineteen, I see. I can't even. Tell. It's your age. <laughs> That's what. I'm not even five minutes in, and I'm already <laughs> screwing it up. Okay, so in the 1730s, German settlers in Central Maryland told stories of a fearsome winged creature that would swoop down and snatch anything from chickens to children. Now, tales of this creature would endure for over 200 years, so much so that even the president would consider joining the hunt for this terrible beast. Now, it sounds outlandish, and many believe that the stories were fabricated by journalists, bootleggers, slave owners, and anyone else that sought financial gain. So tonight, Adam and I discuss the legend of the Snallygaster. Hey, anybody know what the Snallygaster is out there? Say, if you already know about the Snallygaster, I am impressed. Right. When Adam threw this out, I was like, what is that? <laughs> I thought he made it up. Yeah. 
Well, it's that one that I've been drawing a comic for for <laughs> a few years, and I wanted this is an episode to push my Snallagaster versus comic. It yeah. it it sounds like it, it sounds like like Snagglepuss's reptile cousin mm-hmm. <laughs> from like Laugh Olympics, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. You ask, if you don't know, like most people don't know what the Snallagaster is, you ask what it is. Well, first of all, the name Snallagaster is actually a mispronunciation, go figure, of the term Schnellgeist, which means quick spirit in German. Yeah. So, like poltergeist. Right. Noisy spirit. Exactly. Yeah. So, it, it's it's very much in that same kind of where it came from. Yeah. Uh, the entomology of the name. Um, in... Pennsylvania Dutch traditions, though, a quick spirit is responsible mostly for things like sudden drafts, knocking over lightweight household objects, or scattering papers, a lot like a poltergeist. Or the wind. Or the wind, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wind comes through. Oh, it's a Schnellgeist. Um, But the Snallagaster legend is really old, and it's been around, like, in and out of stories for years um, the first sighting of this giant, fearsome bird, in quotes, took place, like Matt said, in the 1730s. It wasn't just a big bird, though. We've talked about big birds. We've done a whole episode on that, so no yeah. need to rehash that. Right. You know, We've talked about Oscar and the Swedish chef. Exactly. Everything. Uh, <laughs> so the, this was kind of a dragon-like beast, and... Like Matt said, it was known for diving unexpectedly down from the sky and would steal animals and children from, like, local farm folk. Yeah, to eat them. Yeah, it was something you had to watch out for when you were outside. You know, it it was a (laughs) big danger. They were described as half reptile and half bird with a kind of metallic beak that was lined with razor-sharp teeth and occasionally had octopus-like tentacles on it. But that's one of those, like we've, we've talked about this before, there's the the highs and the lows that you kind of cut out on a bell curve. Right. That's one of those that's a little too crazy. Um, it's like way, way down on the, on the slope. Right. <laughs> it's like really skewing the curve. Right, yeah. and it, it you don't see it that often, but if you Google search Snallagaster, you're going to see a photo that has octopus-like tentacles coming out of its mouth. Yeah. Or, yeah, like it's so, a drawing. Yeah, yeah. It's not a, like, photo, but, yeah, it's like a, a drawing of something. If we found an actual photo of it, this would be a whole different episode. Yeah. Well, there might be. There might be. Um, it doesn't have tentacles. Right. Um, so... The Snallagaster for several years in the late 1920s, so it, it made a resurgence from the 1730s. It came back in the late 1920s and the early 1930s, and it caused a big sensation in Frederick County, Maryland. Now, the settlers in that area had told these stories for hundreds of years, but nobody really you know, believed in it. It was like little small pockets of people who believed, but as far as a bunch of people believing, there weren't that many until the 1920s, 1930s area. Um, 
Now, apparently in that lore, it kind of came up that the Snallygaster was afraid of a heptagram. And a heptagram is a seven-pointed star. So people started to paint that symbol on their barns to ward off the Snallygaster. Yeah, and and you've seen this. I know you have. Um, because it's not just a star. It it has a, a pattern to it. it. You know, it's colorful. And, you know, you still see them on barns today. Mm-hmm. You know, and around here, it it's like a quilt pattern. Right. But it's very, very similar. Right. So, you know, there's there's not a whole lot about why the Pennsylvania Dutch barns would have that seven-pointed star. I mean, it, it goes with the idea that that seven-pointed star is because seven is a perfect number and it wards off evil. Right. You know, so there were a lot of correlations. I, I couldn't find anything that directly said this is what people did to ward off the Snallygaster. Right. It was just, it was common and it may well have been to ward off, you know, evil spirits. Right. It, you know, it may have started out as like a, a small thing that people did to ward off the Snallygaster, but over time, everybody just kind of adopted it yeah. into, well, I've got a big barn. I need to put this seven pointed star on there. Yeah. It's a tradition now. Right. And, yeah. and it, you know, like a lot of other things that we talk about, it started out as a protection or a superstition mm-hmm. of, of some kind that has now just worked its way into everyday sure. life and yeah. everyday culture. And oh, yeah, I mean, to this day, if I spill salt, I throw some over my shoulder. Right. Why? Because my grandmother told me that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Because it blinds the devil coming up behind you. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, right. I hadn't, you know, I, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that, but th- th- she did say that. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, it was the thing or you'll have bad luck, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, I remember the thing about the devil and I hadn't thought about that until you said it. So, yeah, I saw a light bulb click on as soon as yeah. I said that it was yeah. it. Matt was transported back several <laughs> decades. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm 11 years old. I'm standing <laughs> in my grandmother's kitchen. <laughs> now, honey, make sure you throw that salt over your shoulder. You blind the devil behind you. If not, he going to get you. So. <laughs> For generations, the Snallygaster story never changed, Um, but no one ever really saw the Snallygaster. You know, they they passed this story around, but there was no concrete evidence for a while. But everyone just kind of assumed that it was out there. Now, when it reappeared in the 1920s, it coincided pretty perfectly with, with prohibition. Now, moonshiners in the forest and the mountains of northern Maryland kind of co-opted the old story in what is seen to be an effort to scare off the revenue agents and to explain all the sounds like the explosions, bending metal and whatnot that came from their stills at night because it's not a quiet process. And if you want to keep people away from your secret stash of moonshine, You'd say there's a big, scary monster out there. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, in the early 1900s, you know, these stories would would come back up um, and, and they would be much more 
fear, fear inspiring, right. you know. So in 1909, a newspaper article stated that the creature had dragged a man to a hillside where it fed off of him, leaving only his hollowed out corpse. Icky. Yeah, that ran in the newspaper. Right. <laughs> but, you know, if if you're going to come up with a story that's going to make people afraid to go into the woods, you know, whether it's I'm going to tell you this story so you don't come in here and find out what I'm doing, or mm-hmm. we're going to tell you this story so you don't go into the woods and do illegal activity. Right. You know, either way, we got to make it enough to – to scare the bejesus out of me and right. keep you out of there. Right. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about a new sponsor of the graveyard. This week's sponsor is ForHers.com. Now, what is that? Well, it's a new women's wellness brand that puts your body back into your control. Now, ladies, we know that getting birth control can be a hassle, and so does for hers. The time it takes to go to your doctor's office, the hassle of receiving your new pack on time, or the several phone calls you have to make to find out why your insurance is no longer paying for it is ridiculous. So your birth control should be delivered to you when you need it, where you need it, without judgment, and with your physician available to answer questions you might have. Now, you're not alone. More than 10 million women in the U.S. take the pill and they struggle to receive it, is absolutely real. Well, it's time to level the healthcare playing field, and For Hers says, let's do it. For Hers is helping women across the country get convenient and affordable access to birth control. No need to take travel time out of your already busy day. For Hers provides access to licensed doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe you birth control that can be delivered direct to your door. For hers puts the purchasing power back in your hands, bundling all the costs of receiving your birth control into one low price of $30 and without the need for insurance. Everyone's body is different. So for hers offers 10 well-known birth control options. Whether you're already taking birth control or have no idea where to start, for hers will connect you to a doctor online who can help determine the option that will work best for you. Now order now and graveyard listeners can get their first month of birth control from forhers.com for just $5. Now that's $5 while supplies last and is subject to your doctor's approval and you can see the website for full details. Go to forhers.com slash graveyard. That's F-O-R-H-E-R-S dot com slash graveyard. G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D. Again, that's forhers.com. F-O-R-H-E-R-S dot com slash graveyard. Restrictions apply. See website for full details. And and like you said, it, it very well could be that dual story, right? you know, that both sides are telling each other the same story for basically the same reason, right? you know, right. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into more theories later, but you know, that, that's something to think about while we're going through this and telling some of the stories. Yeah. And you know, that, that wasn't a new idea on this Snallygaster legend because it was, 
it was known that slave owners in the 1800s would also use this story to frighten slaves from running off. Right. You know, if if you believe if you leave this property and you get out in those woods, the Snallygaster is going to get you, then you might just as well stay put. Right. And, you know, know, that that works as well along the same lines as we've talked about with during the um, Lake Monster Month when we talked about the water babies. And in the fairy episodes, when we when we talked about some of the fae, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it could very well be an old wives' tale, an urban legend that was told to children to keep them away, you know, and and you would tell that to your kids so they didn't go get lost in the woods. Right. You know, uh, there's a Snallygaster out there, and it sounds like a word you'd make up to scare kids. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, it does. It sounds like something you'd make up to tell a kid. Yeah. Your five-year-old's wanting to run out there, and you go, now that Snallygaster, he going to get you. He going (laughs) to eat you. He carries off kids now. Kids and chickens, you know. <laughs> so don't go carrying a chicken out in the woods because you're, you're, right. you're in double danger. <laughs> you've just baited a hook is what you've done. <laughs> so according to a lot of people, there were accounts of these thunderous explosions and loud screeching sounds that kind of began to circulate through the community and disturb people. And as we've talked about, that was most likely moonshiner stills, but the noises became more common. And so did the reports of a winged creature. Now, this is when it, it started with the tentacle thing. They started adding the tentacle thing about this same time. If bodies were found, they were said to be drained of blood and scorched. Oh, so, so now it's like a vampire dragon. Exactly. It's a vampiric octopus dragon. <laughs> Sounds like that dream I had the other night. It's better and better. Right. So there was a local paper called the Middletown Valley Register, and they got on this Snallagaster case. They published detailed reports of sightings, and they painted this grim picture of the mountain regions being real dangerous, just this real dangerous area to go. So it was decided that this newer, in quotes, monster was the offspring of an egg that had been reported a generation prior. So there were no reports of the egg at the time, but the Middletown Valley Register concocted part of this story to say, well, it came from an egg that was found last generation and they didn't destroy it because <laughs> they wanted to know what was going to hatch That's out. That's true. It. They had to, haven't you ever read Horton? Here's a who. That's a you good know. point. <laughs> so I guess they got a real big chicken to sit on this egg for a generation, you know? So what you're talking 50 years, Yeah. you know, something like that. But other papers jumped in on the act. The Baltimore sun published articles as did the Washington post. Now scrutiny, towards these articles started to increase, so more pressure came to catch or photograph the Snallagaster. Supposedly, the National Geographic was preparing an expedition to capture it on film. The creature became so famous that President Theodore Roosevelt and the Smithsonian Institute expressed interest in these sightings. 
Scientists started looking for traces that was left behind by the Snallagaster, and various scientific theories about the mysterious creature were presented. Now, trying to kind of ward off panic, the Baltimore Sun reported that the Snallagaster died in November of 1932. Now, there was a shadowy photo of the dead creature accompanied with a questionable account of how it had drowned in a vat of whiskey mash on a Baltimore County farm. Now, by, in quotes, a suspicious coincidence, the report stated that the federal prohibition officers accidentally blew up this still that the creature had drowned in before they could get the carcass out of it. So how, how convenient. Exactly. So just <laughs> no, you know, it it just blew we blew it up. We didn't realize it was in there. This big old winged Yeah, we demon. Didn't, didn't know. Right. We took a picture of it. Yeah, we we kind of a blurry picture. You know, we got a picture ish of it. <laughs> we were running yeah. at the time. <laughs> just happened to be running. The there was an earthquake. Um, you know, I was doing jumping jacks, and that's why it looks the way it does. Yeah, you know? but you know what's funny is up to this point, there's no physical evidence whatsoever. None. I mean, there's there's a lot of anecdotal stories, and that's about it. I mean, there's you know, there's no, no droppings. No, this is where the, the snally. This is a snallygaster lair over yep. here. This is look at this. Look at the bones and stuff. I found a snally to a snally duty. Yeah. So. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's just story. Right. And the, the one body they get, they blow up. They blow it up. <laughs> Jeez. But this kind of coincided with another weird thing that happened. Just shortly after that, prohibition ended. Mm. So there were no other sightings after that. Because, right. you know, I guess there wasn't a need for it. Or, you know, that's me being cynical. There might be some other explanations for it. Yeah. So, digging into this, having had no idea what the heck this <laughs> started, um, I started kind of poking around as to either... What it what it could have been if it was real, or um, could it have been, uh, you know, a legend that came out of an, yet another legend? So, looking at the map, New Jersey and Washington D.C., Central Maryland are are really not that far apart geographically, and the descriptions are similar. To that of the Jersey Devil. And I think most people have heard of the Jersey Devil. If you're listening to this show, you probably have heard of the Jersey Devil. Right. You've either come across it. I remember reading stories about the Jersey Devil when I was a kid. So I started digging and seeing if if there were any connections. So listen to this. Just, just you be the judge. But listen to this. This is a description this is a description of of the of the Snallygaster. 
said the Snallygaster is typically described as a mishmash of different creatures. Since it has wings and can fly, it's also often compared to a bird, but it also sports some peculiar reptilian features. It has a tail, scales, and claws similar to a dragon. Now, on top of that, it has a metallic beak with razor-sharp teeth that are capable of cutting through meat and bone. Now, let's listen to a description of the Jersey Devil. The common description is that of a kangaroo-like or wyvern, or wyvern as Adam likes to say, <laughs> like creature with a goat or horse-like head, leathery bat-like wings, horns, small arms with clawed hands, cloven hooves, and a forked tail. It has been reported to move quickly and is often described as emitting a high-pitched, blood-curdling scream. Now, that's the Jersey Devil, and although the descriptions are not identical, there's a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. You know, the wings, the tail, you know, the claws, those type things, they are really similar, especially if we're talking about a creature that there's no physical evidence that it exists. Right. And you're only catching from a, a distance. You right. Know. Right. Especially something in the air. And we discussed this when we were talking about the Thunderbird. You know, being able to judge a size of a, of a flying object is extremely difficult from the ground mm -hmm. as it is. But now you're talking about giving specific details. And and there are, there are tons of, of, you know, artist renderings of what both of these creatures look like. And there's the 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 trail cam footage of <laughs> of both of these creatures as well. And they're both obviously very camera shy. Right. Um, but the the sightings of the Jersey Devil they continued on even to modern day, mm -hmm. you know, where the sightings of the Snallygaster did not. But what if they were one in the same? You know, what if the the creature that was seen in the in the New Jersey area is the same thing that was seen in the Central Maryland, Washington, D.C. era? Now, there's more than a few people that have made this comparison. So this is this is not my hundred percent theory. Um, but because of their close proximity, proximity geographically and their similar descriptions, we can start to kind of think maybe it's the same thing, but this one is me. I, I didn't find this anywhere. I, I came up with this on my own. Mm -hmm. So the origin story for the Jersey devil is, is pretty unique. So it begins with Jane Mother Leeds giving birth to her 13th child, whom she cursed to be the devil. Now, as the story says, when the child came out, it sprouted hooves and wings, flew up the chimney and disappeared. Okay. Now, oddly enough, that child was said to have been born in 1735 right in the middle of the 1730s when the German immigrants began to tell stories of the Snellergeist. Right. So the time frame for the origins of both of these creatures is 
virtually identical. Right. And they didn't say for the Snallygaster exactly when in the 1730s. Right. So it could have been the late 1730s. It absolutely could have been. We never found an actual year or the exact first sighting of it. And, And this is only one. It was the most unique, but it's only one of the origin stories of the Jersey Devil. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most widely known. It is. It is the most popular. Um, but the time frame is what caught my attention. Mm-hmm. You know, e- even if the origin story came after the fact, which oftentimes does. Sure. Um, it, it still coincides with the Snallygaster sightings when they began too. So could the Snallygaster and the new and the Jersey devil be the same thing? And if so, what are they? What, what is this creature? Is it a devil? You know, according to the legend, it, you know, it's the devil incarnate, Mm -hmm. you know, flying around New Jersey. Figured he'd go somewhere else. I would, you know, maybe Las Vegas. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Or is it some, you know, preternatural beast? Or is it something that history left behind? So it wouldn't be Graveyard Tales if we didn't make this connection. So That's true. So I we mean, had to do it. We we have a history of connecting weird ends of strings together. That's right. That's and <laughs> not always are we, you and know, we never tell you this is what it is. That's right. And but... And sometimes those ends of those strings are so far apart that Adam has to hold one end and I have to hold another <laughs> and we have to hold hands to make the connection. Right, exactly. So but we're going to. The only connection is us. Right. We're going to make the connection just to spark some conversation. That's right. So we're going to connect these dots. So pterosaurs went extinct about 66 million years ago. Dinosaurs are back. That's right. <laughs> But can we really talk about a creature like this without talking about dinosaurs? I mean, of course not. I mean, but pterosaurs weren't dinosaurs, at least not technically. They, they're cousins, though. Um, pterosaurs were giant winged reptiles who originally were land dwellers that evolved into the largest known creature to ever be able to fly. Now, although there's no real information, like I said, linking the Snallygaster or the Jersey Devil to pterosaurs, Graveyard Tales is going to make that link. So we're 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 gonna we're gonna jump this bridge. I, for some reason, here's here's my train of thought. You said make the connections in Graveyard, so I I went Graveyard connections. Then I thought that's a dating app. We need to start a dating app for. <laughs> The single people in the graveyard, and they can make graveyard connections with each oh, other. Oh, Lord. Hey, trademark. <laughs> trademark. We need to uh, print this uh, episode yeah. out and mail it to ourselves. <laughs> graveyard connections. TM. <laughs> yeah. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> so, I mean, modern day sightings of pterosaurs are actually not that uncommon. Um Author Jonathan Whitcomb has written several books on this subject. Uh, Searching for Ropens in 2006, Live Pterosaurs in America in 2011, and Modern Pterosaurs in 2017 are just a few of Whitcomb's books detailing the sightings of large winged creatures called Ropens or Ropens, 
or that's translated to demon flyers. And that's what they are called in some cultures around the world. Now, natives in New Guinea believe that these creatures do exist, and it has terrified their ancestors for centuries. So professional monster hunters have actually gone to New Guinea and witnessed these creatures, these large flying creatures with a long tail, a long beak, and an elongated head, much like a horse, mm-hmm. um, in that area. Josh Gates but, being one of them. Yeah. But again, we have really no good, solid evidence of their existence. Right. We just have a lot of stories, but we have a lot more stories of pterosaurs than we do of the Snallygaster. So there is a documented story of two American soldiers um, during World War II who witnessed a flying creature in a clearing estimating its wingspan to be about 29 feet. Now, when you read the the account, the the clearing that they were in was probably about a hundred feet uh, across. Mm-hmm. So there are birds in that area that have a wingspan of seven to eight feet. Pretty right. pretty big birds. So a lot of this has been dismissed as. It was just one of these birds, one of these larger birds. Mm -hmm. But this is a soldier in a clearing with an obvious frame of reference, you know, who saw this creature not once, but twice and estimated his wingspan to be almost 30 feet. I would think if it's legit that he would be able to make that estimate. He wouldn't be off by almost 20 feet. No, not you know, with, like you said, ways to judge the wingspan. If right. you know the area that it's in is so many feet and you can see basically how much it takes up of that, yeah, then you know, okay, it's got to be around this wide. Exactly. It's not like just seeing it up in the sky and trying to guess. Right. Yeah. When all you have is a cloud background mm-hmm. of that, I mean... You know, when it's low enough to the ground that you can make that frame of reference, it's a little bit easier. But 29-foot wingspan, that's a big creature to be flying. Yeah, it is. Okay. So that brings us to probably one of the most famous photographs of anything like this. And it's it's called the PTP photograph. And... It was allegedly taken during the American Civil War right around 1864. Now, we're going to post this photo so that you can look at it and you can judge for yourself. We say that often. I'm going to make a note. Make a note. I'm going to make a reminder because we probably say we're going to post this and we never do. Yeah, I'm going to make a note. Because we're terrible. And I'm I'm not anti-social media. I'm just. Social media poor. I just, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just don't do it like I probably should. But anyway, so the the photo, it's an image of several uh, Civil War soldiers 
who had apparently shot down a, a large winged creature. And they are standing around it like you would, you know, if they had just killed a bear or a mule deer or something. Mm-hmm. One guy's okay. got his foot up on the beak of the thing. Yeah. And the photograph itself has been examined and examined and examined by experts. And they pretty much all agree that the photo is authentic. But they just can't speak to the authenticity of what's in the photo. Right. You know. So, I mean, you know, I can take a real picture of something that's not real. Mm -hmm. Something that either I constructed or, you know, manufactured myself and said, look at this. You know, I found this. This is a piece of rock from Mars. And this is how I know. I mean, I could come up with any story and take a photograph of it. And they're like, well, that's that's a real photo. Yeah. But what's in it is totally made up. Right. Okay. So let's talk about a returning sponsor of Graveyard Tales. Let's talk about Care Of. Care-of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Yeah, and right now, Care-of is encouraging you to spring in to a healthy routine. With the winter blues coming to an end, it's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your healthiest. Give yourself an extra boost this season, whether you're looking for more energy, better sleep, to maintain stress, or something else to feel your healthiest. Right, and Care Of has this fun online quiz, and it asks you about your diet, your health goals, lifestyle choices, and it only takes five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. After you do this and you pick your your vitamins that you want, your personalized Care Of subscription box gets sent right to your door every month with personalized daily packs that are great if you've got an on-the-go lifestyle and you've got to get out the door fast. You can take these packs with you, drop them in your pocket, your purse, your backpack, and it's awesome. You know, you, you've you gotten your box, I'm getting my boxes, and now Amanda has started as well. And one of the things that we've always done, and I'm sure a lot of couples do, is you start taking a supplement and you take it together. Sure. So you wind up taking the same things, which may not be exactly what you need to do. Right. So we were really noticing that her list from her quiz was much different from mine. So she really enjoys the convenience and knowing exactly what she's taking and why. Yeah, and you're exactly right because... You know, what you need as an older gentleman, as we've discussed, <laughs> is is going to be different than what Amanda needs. So that's that's what's perfect about this is that you get that personalization from your packets. And so right now, our listeners can get 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. All you've got to do is go to takecareof.com. And enter Grave 50, that's G-R-A-V-E-5-0. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter Grave 50, G-R-A-V-E-5-0 for the 50% off your first month off offer. But we're talking about 1864. And so when you examine the photo, 
you can see the head of this creature. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's plain. You can see. You can make out the head. You make out where the eyes would be. Everything. And then you go and compare a photograph of a modern day uh, display of a pterosaur skeleton, and it's uncanny mm-hmm. how accurate it is. So, could they have constructed a pterosaur? model to take this photograph as a hoax or a gag and it just it's just endured for all this time well there's some problems with that in 1864 it's it's highly unlikely that american soldiers would know what a pterosaur even was much less know what one looked like well enough to construct a model that would be accurate when compared to an actual skull. Mm -hmm. And during the Civil War, to have the items, the resources to be able to do that. Right. So one person theorized that in this photo, it's actually like the half of two canoes that were made to give the appearance that there were wings coming off. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, believe it or not, someone consulted a canoe expert, and he said, yeah, this is absolutely not canoes. The shape is all wrong. They're not deep enough. They're not wide enough. They wouldn't have been a canoe that was used at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, they've even gone so far as to examine the uniforms that they were wearing, and that they didn't look exactly right. But that has even been authenticated, you know, by saying that these particular pants that were in there were actually made and they were issued to soldiers and they were essentially like factory seconds. You know, there was a problem with them. They weren't colored exactly right. So they looked different, but they used them anyway because, hell, they weren't going to throw them away. You know, things were tight. I mean, you know, the country was in the middle of a war. It's a pair of pants. Who cares what color it is? Put them on and go fight. Yep. So basically, there's a lot of evidence that authenticates the photo as to being period correct. Right. Accurate to the time, you know, not staged in a manner of modern day materials were used to dress up these guys as Civil War soldiers. Mm-hmm. And you know, the creature that's displayed in the picture is accurate to, you know, what we know in modern day that these creatures actually look like based on their fossils and skeletons. Okay. So there's a lot of authenticity to this, but it's still, you just, you just look at it and you're like, holy cow. Now there's another one. There's another photo, and this one is even more. This one is even more bizarre because in this picture, these guys are actually holding it up. They've got the wings spread. You can see exactly what it is. There's no doubt. It's not canoes. It's not anything else. These guys are holding the pterosaur. (laughs) That one, though, uh, that's the one that we ran across during the Thunderbird episode. Yes, we did. And so that one we know 
is a fake. Yeah, it it was faked. And there is another one where they tried to recreate the original picture where it's lying on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's a known fake. Right. But they couldn't replicate it, you know, to pass it off. Right. Yeah, they couldn't make it look enough like the original to pass it off. But there's a lot of people that see these photographs and, and take them as authentic proof and evidence that these creatures did exist or could possibly exist today. So I took it a step further because I wanted to know. So the very first description of a pterosaur was published by Italian naturalist Cosimo Alessandro Collini in 1784. So 80 years before this photo was taken, scientists knew what a pterosaur was. And, and roughly what it looked like. But study of prehistoric creatures at that time was very limited to a small group of individuals. You know, and these scientists weren't necessarily publishing their, uh, their findings or their theories for the general public. Mm-hmm. Certainly not, you know, local you know, farmhands and and townspeople that were going to fight in the Civil War, they they wouldn't have grown up learning about this. It wasn't something that they were taught in school. So they they still wouldn't have known exactly what to build to get it that close to take a, a, a false photo. Right. And if we're talking the 1730s, when some of the original sightings of the Snallagaster was, then those descriptions, those drawings had not been made public at all yet. Right. So if you were to see a large bird, a large winged creature from afar, you might start putting different things on it, like the beak of metal. Yeah. Because it's got a big, maybe a shiny beak mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it. and if there were pterosaurs then, then they might swoop down and eat chickens or, or small animals or, or children or something. And over time through telling the tale, you exaggerate certain details to make it seem more more crazy, even though at that time, even seeing, an, uh, hell, at this time, seeing a, a pterosaur <laughs> flying would be crazy. But, yes, it would. But at least we would know what it was. Yeah. Then they would have no idea. So is it possible that they did that? They saw something like that and then just incorporated other details to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything is possible. I mean, you know, they, there's a chance that one of them knew or that they came across someone that knew or that had a drawing or a painting of one and said, hey, look at this. Right. You know, and it just went from there. But, you know, I was playing devil ad- advocate with Adam before the show and I was telling him, you know, well, look, you know, if if the dinosaurs went extinct because of a, you know, cataclysmic event, you know, asteroid hitting the earth or anything like that. 
out of all the the possible dinosaurs that survived, which one do you legitimately think would have the best shot? One that could fly, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it would have a greater range for prey and such. Right. So theoretically possible. it, It could reach higher ground the fastest. You know, it could migrate to an area where there was another food source. You know, unlike a land-based or even a sea-based creature, you know, it, it would have the easiest means to find a new home. Right. You know, and get get away from an area that was going to lead to its death. Right. So, but, you know, that's, again, if you believe any of this. Right. But if you do believe some of it, if you think that a pterosaur or, you know, a relative uh, an evolved version of a pterosaur, still big, still winged, you know, but maybe not the exact same creature could exist, you know, in the modern day, or at least within the last 200 years. Could it possibly explain sightings of other creatures that Adam and I have discussed in other episodes, namely dragons, the the thunderbird, you know, anything like that? Because, we just don't have a known creature of this size that flies. Right. And and yet we've talked about different cryptids or different mythical creatures that may or may not have existed that people have claimed to have seen, you know, within the last 100 to 200 years that we just we we don't see evidence of. Right, but but if this was a possibility, if you believe that that there was a chance that a creature like this evolved and lived in the modern day, even a few of them, you know, could that be what people have seen and attributed to other things? Whether it's a dragon or a thunderbird or a snallygaster or a Jersey Devil, based on where you lived and where you grew up and what legends you had heard, right, and then you know. It's very possible that there is a a legitimate biological explanation for something like the Snallagaster. Yeah. Now, most people, most reports that you see of, you know, people writing articles on the Snallagaster and stuff like that, they end it always with saying that, well, it was a story made up by moonshiners and stuff to escape prohibition, but it doesn't explain the earlier sightings. Uh So, you know, to me, I, I don't want to say that it's an entire hoax or farce or whatever, but some of it probably could be, it could be used as, you know, an earlier legend of something that, maybe legitimately was seen was used in later years as kind of a farce. Yeah. Um, but we do have, when we were doing the research on the Snallagaster, we found out that a lot like the wild man has an arch enemy in Bigfoot, that the Snallagaster has an arch enemy in a creature called the Dwayo. So just to add one more little weird thing to this episode, <laughs> we're going to talk about the Dwayo. Now, stories date back for centuries 
of the Snallygaster and the Dwayo fighting. And they would tell stories of, you know, these vicious encounters that they would have of, you know, just beating the crap out of each other and all that. But it's like alien versus predator. Pretty much. Yeah. Now, in the late 18th century, um, when the Pennsylvania Dutch started to settle in Carroll, Frederick and Washington counties of Maryland, almost immediately these stories began to circulate of a wolf-like creature. Now, its description um, was similar to what the what we know as the Dwayo now, and it was called the Hexen Wolf. So the Hexen Wolf and the Dwayo are basically the same thing, so I'm just going to call it the Dwayo for the rest of this part. Now, it's described as having features similar to a wolf with dark fur over its entire body a long bushy tail, and a dog-like nose, but it stands like a human and utilizes its forelegs like arms, and it's said to be about six foot tall. So I have one question. Dogman, is that you? Uh-huh. And we still have reports today of Dogman. Uh, Linda Godfrey has uh, countless books on Dogman, and I like all of them, but... Um, <laughs> The first mention of the name Dwayo comes from a sighting that was in 1944 in West Middleton, Frederick County, Maryland. So from the late 18th century up until 1944, they were calling it the Hexen Wolf. And in 1944, they kind of started calling it the Dwayo. Witnesses heard the creature make frightful screams and there were footprints that kind of attested to the claims of these sightings. Despite the stories that dated back hundreds of years, the tale didn't really come into like public knowledge until a newspaper account in the Frederick News Post on November 27th, 1965. So we're getting more recent. It was published, and it detailed an account of the creature, which I'll read to you now. Near the woods of Gamble State Park, John Becker went out in his yard to investigate a strange noise. It was getting dark, and he had started back to the house when he saw something moving toward him. It was as big as a bear, had long black hair, a bushy tail, and growled like a wolf or a dog in anger. As it got closer, it stood up on its hind legs and attacked him. Becker fought the creature until it ran into the woods, leaving him, his wife, and his children in horror. Deciding to remain anonymous under the alias John Becker, he filed a report with local state police telling of an attack by a mysterious monster that he called the Dwayo. In the summer of 1966, the creature was again sighted on the outskirts of Gambrel State Park, when a man only referred to as Jim A. encountered the Dwayo as he was heading toward a campsite. He described it as a shaggy two-legged animal the size of a deer that had a triangle-shaped head and pointed ears and chin. It was dark brown in color, and when approached, it made a horrifying scream and backed away from the man. Jim went on to say that the creature had an odd walk as it retreated, its leg kind of stuck out from the side of the trunk of the body, making its movements appear almost spider-like as it backed away. Now, again, in the fall of 1976, there was another sighting. 
that took place in Frederick County near Thurmont, and two men were driving down Route 77 onto a private road, and there they saw a large creature run across the road in front of their car. Now, they described it as, quote, at least six feet tall, but inclined forward since it was moving quickly. Its head was fairly large and similar to the profile of a wolf. The body was covered in brown or brindled colored fur, but the lower half had a striped pattern and noticeable darker and lighter banding. The forelegs were slimmer and held out in front as it moved. The back legs were very muscled and thick, similar to perhaps a kangaroo. This was not a hominid-type creature. It did not have characteristics of an ape. It was much more similar to a wolf or ferocious dog, However, it was definitely moving upright and appeared to be adapted for that kind of mobility. It was particularly, I was particularly impressed by the size and strength of its back legs, the stripes on the lower half of the body, and the canine wolf-like head. So, we've got, it, it, it's, there were tie-ins to the Snallygaster with the Dueo, so we thought we'd talk about it a little bit. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just my bias um, when we're talking cryptids and stuff. Or it's because there's so much more evidence for dogmen or canine humanoid type creatures that, like I said, I don't know why, but the Dueo, the Hexen Wolf, seems a little more plausible to me than the Snallygaster does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. And, you know, there were stories of these fights that they would have and, you know, these huge battles out in the wilderness between, you know, the Dueo and this winged Snallygaster. Mm -hmm. You know, even to the point that there were stories that they didn't have to worry anymore because the Dueo had killed the Snallygaster. Right, right. So I'm with you. I, I think the idea that there could have been you know, a, a large wolf species or even a wolf that had adapted the way he hunted to being on, you know, hind legs, using his forelegs more like arms. I think that's a lot more reasonable. Um, you know, what happened to him today? I don't know, but th- there's, there's evidence of large wolves that are, no longer around today Mm -hmm. or that the wolves that we see today evolved into a much smaller, sleeker, uh, faster creature, you know, to adapt to the prey that they had to live on Mm -hmm. so that, you know, wolves could have actually been more like what we think of as bears now. Well, the dire wolf, the dire wolf is exactly what I'm thinking of, you know, uh, a much, much larger creature, but a wolf nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, a definite canine. And, you know, I, the the stories of the Snallygaster kind of died off, and we don't hear much about the Snallygaster. You may have... Unless you go to the Snallygaster Beer Festival in Central Maryland. Right. So. I was going to say, you may have little tie-ins to pop culture exactly. here and there, but... We don't have, like, reported sightings much anymore. Right. But we still get reported sightings of dogmen, um, 
things that are described exactly like the Dueo was described. And like we said, since it tied into the Snallygaster, we thought we'd throw it here at the end of the episode for you just to kind of think about a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I, we, Adam mentioned that it, it showed up in pop culture. Um, the the Snallygaster is mentioned in the J.K. Rowling book, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Is it? Yep. And uh, it's also, and what, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really a gamer, but I, I bet we've got a few gamers in the group. Sure. And they probably already had heard about the Snallygaster because apparently it, it makes an appearance in the video game Fallout 76, mm-hmm. you know, along with other cryptids around the, the West Virginia area. Uh, yeah. A lot you of know. our other friends make appearances in there. They sure uh, do. So. The Flatwoods Monster. <laughs> uh-huh. And the Mothman. Moth yeah. So, um, so yeah. So some of you may have heard of the Snallygaster from that. So the, the stories and the legends are, are being kept alive. Um, you know, especially if you, if you go to the beer fest, which says right. that, that actually sounds more fun to me. Um, but, uh, but what do you guys think? I mean, was this just a legend you know, was it just stories that were passed down from generation to generation and later they were used to to frighten people to stay out of the woods? You know, was it something that slave owners just came up with to to keep their slaves from running off, to keep them in fear? You know, was it something that parents used to keep their children out of the woods where something real could actually get them or they could become lost? Mm-hmm. Um or, or does anybody fall on that side where it believes it's actually a, a, a modern day pterosaur? Mm-hmm. To um, me, it, it's it's a lot of legend. It's yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. It's it, it's legend. Everything about it just leans towards that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the legend itself is just adapted to the need of the time. Sure, you know that's why the. The images change. That's why the behaviors change. That's why the stories of the attacks get darker and more gruesome, you know, because that's what was needed. Mm-hmm. You know, and when it wasn't needed anymore, they blew it up. Yeah, right. It, <laughs> you it know? died in a whiskey mash. Still. Yeah. You know, hey, we'll, we're going to end this right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's been, I think it's, I think you can take the Snallygaster as a very unique part of American folklore. Sure. You know. That that's what I think. Yep. Let us know what you think. Uh, like we always say, hit us up. You know, email us, social media, something like that, and let us know what side of the coin you fall on. All right. So Adam and I want to again thank our sponsors for tonight's show, Care of and Hers. And uh, we want to invite you to go over to our website. That's graveyardpodcast.com. and on our website. You can listen to the show. You can learn a little bit more about Adam and myself. Uh, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. And uh, you can also get information on becoming a patron uh, patron to support the show. Mm-hmm. And thank you to everyone that has done that. Um, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search Graveyard Tales. Uh, and please go and rate and review us on iTunes it's the best way to get us noticed and to bring more people into the graveyard. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. <laughs>